0: All right, you can be seated. So it's Thanksgiving week. Anybody traveling anywhere next week? Raise your hand if you're going out of town. A few of you, good. Um, we're leaving tomorrow. This is like our fifth or sixth year doing this as a family, but we spend our uh, Thanksgiving uh, at Disney World. So. Uh, We have chicken fingers and fries for Thanksgiving meal, Uh, you know, all the best. So it's just kind of us and, uh, you know, 10 million other people. But I know I look like the last guy who would go to Disney World and enjoy it, but I really enjoy it. And uh, here's the thing, like if I could go alone, I would go alone. And let me tell you why, not because I don't like my family, I love my family. But let me just tell you, like, (laughs) I would take a separate trip to Disney World for this purpose alone. But I would get a hotel four or five days Uh, you know, tickets for the park and I would set up shop every day from the time the park opens till it closes right in the middle of the magic kingdom. Like where the carousel is, like just find a table there, have some cash for coffee and food and a fully charged and loaded uh, Kindle. Right. And again, I would just sit there from the time the park opens until it closes and just uh, watch families melt down like that. (laughs) I would pay all the fees to do that. I mean, it's my—it it is my favorite attraction at Disney. Like, of all the rides, of all the shows, of all the things that go on in that park, when around around nap time, it is unbelievable. So, uh, if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or all three, uh, look alive this week because I'll be posting—I'll be posting some nice uh, some moments. <laughs> so uh, it's like Jim Gaffigan said, like uh, Disney World is like the DMV, but. Hotter, right? So, like, although not this time of year, but uh, so that, that's where we'll be uh, next week. I, again, I know it kind of looks like I, I just wouldn't get into Disney World, but about 10, 12 years ago, um, I really got into it as an organization. And uh, I started to, you know, kind of dig into the inner workings of that whole organization. And a couple of years back here at church, one of the uh, girls in our small group, was a character at Disney for like a year. And so I was like quizzing her, like what's what's really going on underground? And, uh, you know, what's the seedy underbelly of the park? And it's there, trust me. But what you see on the street level is pretty magical. And uh, that's all, of course, on purpose. And everything, all the energy that they have, all the resources that they have, uh, everything that they throw money at is to make sure that you have a good time there, that your family uh, rests if they can, if they don't break down or melt down. Um, and they uh, about 10, 12 years ago, I bought their, it turned into a book, but I bought their manual for um, their hospitality portion of their company, their guest services, all that sort of stuff. And it's a couple hundred pages, and it was just so interesting to read. And at that time, a lot of churches, actually, uh, that were larger and needed like some beefed-up host team sort of stuff, they were reading this thing. They were learning from this thing about how do, how do you do guest services, how do you do, I mean, just some really cool lessons in there, and so I just kind of got into reading it, and it was just kind of fun to uh, learn some stuff, but the thing that you learn very early on in that manual, and if you've been to the park, you know this, but the thing that you learn very quickly from reading that is uh, that one of the goals that Disney has for you, if you go, is that you're able to go and, um, and forget about the world that you came from. That's the goal. Like, I think any resort probably has that mission in mind for you. Like, if you're paying the money and you go to Sandals, whatever it is, those commercials always kind of freak me out. But, uh, like, where is that, by the way? Um, but if you go to a place like that, their their hope is that you can go and relax and disconnect, right, from wherever it is that you came from, your job, uh, the world that you live in, and whatever. And Disney is my only experience with that sort of thing. And they do a fantastic job. And, of course, uh, the way that I know that is the first stop we make when we're headed home, like north of Orlando, we pull into McDonald's and it feels like a war zone in there. Like it's dirty. It's gross. Like it's just not clean. It's like, OK, now I'm back in the real world or you're getting gas at the gas station. and It's filthy because it's not like that inside the park. It's very, very clean. It's very, very put together. And that is, of course, on purpose. And they spend so much money, uh, so much of their resource. Uh, resources, so much of their creative power and energy and imagination to keep you from thinking about the world that you came from, right? And I know I've shared that with you, some of you before, but there's such a nice connection uh, to the church in that because it is possible, especially here in America, it is possible to grow up in a Christian family, uh, even go to a Christian school perhaps, Uh, graduate and go to a seminary or a Christian college or something. You're in church every Sunday, every Wednesday, if you have that kind of church as well. I mean, it is possible to spend the first 21, 22 years of your life inside this other world and never like having contact with the outside world. Or you spend the first 21, 22 years of your life Surrounding yourself with that kind of world, so that you don't have to engage with the world around you, and there's such such a nice parallel, such a nice connection between what happens in resorts and their goal for you is to forget about the world, and how we there's a risk of us doing that here. There's a risk of us turning church and what it is into this thing that takes us away uh, from the world that we live in now. There are certainly times when God and His church is a nice refuge. I mean, Scripture speaks of that sort of thing. Uh, But at the end of the day, as you'll see as we move through our text today, uh, that God is doing the exact opposite that the resorts are doing. God and His church um, is leveraging all of its resources, all of its creative power, all of its everything that it has to keep the world. And the world that we all live in, on our minds constantly. Totally different. And so I want us to think about that as we go into our text today. Just a quick review. If you weren't here last week, we're doing three Sundays called Renewal. Uh, and it's, it's essentially a vision series, which I, it's new for me. I don't do a lot of vision talks. But uh, if you were here last week, uh, it's the same passage as I preached last week. So we're just going to do this thing again. Uh, not the same stories, not the same angle, but it's, a, it's the exact same passage, the exact same verse. And then I've added one uh, new one for this week. So if you were here last week and you heard some of, uh, and, and you were stayed awake the whole time, by the way. Does anybody remember that text message I got? By the way, I got like a hundred of those last uh, Sunday. I, hey, I stayed awake the whole time. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, Thanks for ruining my data plan. I appreciate that. Uh, But, you know, we're talking about what is God's call on this place, Christian Church Buckhead, in this city at this time in history. And um, the word renewal is it. And we will talk a little bit more about that today. And I'll do a little bit of review from what we talked about last week and then get into kind of the direction we're going to go today. Are you ready? Let me pray if you have a Bible, 2 Corinthians five seventeen, uh, and I'm going to pray and then we'll just jump right into this uh, together. God, thank you for this day and thank you for um, this place. Thank you for this church and this group of people uh, that come together on a Sunday to hear from your word, to learn, to seek. Um, God, we pray as we look at this one verse again uh, that you will open up some doors of understanding for us, that you will inspire us. Uh, to be your people in this world. And uh, it's in your name that we pray and everyone said, amen. So the verse is this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. As I said last week, uh, the Greek here doesn't have he is a new creation. It's just the phrase new creation. So if anyone is in Christ, I'll explain that in a moment. It's a very emphatic finishing statement. It just says new creation. If you're in Christ, new cre- equals new creation, right? And then Paul amplifies that saying, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Now, there's a lot of things to sort of take in on this verse. First of all is this phrase in Christ. Like what does that mean? How do you get in Christ? Now part of this, and Paul uses this language a lot in the New Testament about clothing yourself with Christ, which is uh, has its roots in some Roman culture, but it's also this picture, this image of This is now what defines me. This is what people see when they see me. I'm clothing myself with Christ, with his ways, etc. So to get in Christ, to be in Christ, is not just believing in him, not just saying I have my faith in him, but allowing him to sort of surround your life, to identify you. This is your new identity, the new definition of who you are. And so if anyone, it's all wound up in conversion, so to speak. But if you're in Christ, Paul says then there's this new thing that's happening. And it's not a once-off thing. Like Paul even says in uh, his letter to the Philippians, that continue to work out your salvation, which sounds sort of strange. Like I thought salvation was like a moment. But it turns out that we're always becoming followers of Christ, that we're always, in a sense, becoming Christians, that we're always in process. And the language even in this particular verse, that he is a new creation or new creation, it's this dynamic thing. It's not a once-off thing. It's this continually uh, ongoing process of becoming new. There's a phrase in the Old Testament that God's mercies are new every what? Does know? Every morning, every day. So there's this continual renewing process that's happening with anyone who is putting their faith and trust in God. So, you know, on a very personal level, this makes sense. Like if you're in Christ, there's this process of renewal that's happening in your life. And we believe that. I believe that. Our leaders believe that. Our staff believe that. And we believe that the church has been called to announce that and to allow people to hear the great news of renewal that happens when someone is in Christ. And then he says, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, and again, it just continues to come. We continue to change, we continue to grow in our faith and so last week, this as I said last week, this verse goes in a couple of different directions. The first direction it goes is it's deeply personal, which is what we talked about last Sunday that God is in the, the business of renewing each life that there is this personal component to this to this verse that when we hear this there's great encouragement. For us that, okay, if I'm in Christ, I'm always seen and worked on by God as someone who is in process. That I'm new, that I'm always being made new, that I'm continually under renewal, right? There's always scaffolding around me. This is a nice, encouraging thing. But the context of this whole passage, which begins really at the beginning of chapter 5, and it goes into some of chapter 6, the theme that's going on here or the, the main thrust of this whole passage is reconciliation. Say the word reconciliation. Reconciliation, that's good, it's a nice big word. But it's simply Paul has got this big passage that he's writing to the Corinthians and he's reminding them that that God is reconciling everything back to himself. That God is in a sense reclaiming creation. He's reclaiming his world. Part of that has to do with individual people, that he's reclaiming lives back to him. That he is reconciling whatever belonged to someone else or has been broken or, you know, discarded. He's reclaiming that and reconciling it back to himself. And this whole passage is about that. And so in a sense, there is this personal piece that, again, if you're in Christ, there's a newness about that. But more than that, larger than that, what this verse is really pushing us towards is it's reminding us that this is what God is doing in his world. And the Bible promises us in the last couple of chapters that there will be a day when everything is new, a new heaven and a new earth. And that this is Paul's way of saying the very same thing to the church in Corinth, that, listen, God is reconciling the whole world piece by piece, tree by tree, river by river, person by person, like it's all being made new. And so it's not just the soul of a person. It's not just you and me uh, as individuals, but it is also all of creation. It's not just everyone, but it's everything. And the call of the church in this passage is to not only know that and to believe that, but to join God somehow in that. That the church is called to join God somehow in the renewal of all things. And again, last Sunday, we, uh, and I got some great feedback from you because I wasn't quite sure how the whole thing would go, telling you the story and the history of this church and where it began. Uh, We did the whole strip club story. Uh, If today's your first day, I know that's probably sort of like, I just woke up. Um, But, you know, we started in a strip club, not when it was still open. Um, But and it's funny, too, just as a side, like I've been here almost six years and some people will come here knowing that history. And I was standing in here one time with a guy uh, and his family and he was in this room. Now, this used to be a church church. It's always been a church building. In 1985, it went up. Church of Christ Scientist building is where it's always, what it's always been. And, uh, and then they left uh, about six years ago. But, and then we moved in. So, But he was in this room, and he was looking around, and I was looking around with him because that's what you do. And, and, um, and he was like, man. He was from out of town. He was like, man. I was like, yeah. What are you talking about? And then he said, it's just really amazing what this place used to be. And he was thinking that this was the strip club, you know. And I was like, yeah, like the Church of Christ people were crazy. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, he just really thought that this, you know, I don't know what he was thinking. Like, what I, I'm, it was a little uncomfortable that he was visualizing it, in my opinion, but uh, like what this used to be. So, But we told that story last week as a reminder that this church was called to bring renewal to the lives of people. And that's all the gospel is. The gospel uh, is news. It's an announcement. It's not even really a Christian word. It's a cultural word. It's a historical word. that means announcement. Often used at the coming of a new king or a new emperor or a new law. The announcement of something. And the writers of the New Testament, in a sense, hijack this word and remix it for what God is doing through Jesus in the world that he is making all things new and there's this mercy and grace that comes to the world to all those who want it and this is considered gospel the news the euangelion is the word the evangelist where we get the word evangelist which has a negative tone to it in our day and age but maybe the church should reclaim that because it simply means the bringer of good news The evangelist, the evangelical, is someone who brings good news. Gospel. And news, you may know this, it's fairly simple, needs a voice. News has to be told. The gospel isn't even something really to do. It's something to hear. It's something to believe. It's not even a way of living. It's a way of hearing the news that all things are being made new and that everyone is invited to participate in that. And that sins can be forgiven and that renewal spiritually can happen. And that apart from that, renewal on this earth will happen. And the gospel is the news of that. And the news of renewal has to have a voice. And the church, as you'll see in a moment, is to be that voice. God has called the church to be the living expression of the gospel in the world, wherever it is that they live and do life. We put this on the screen last week, but the vision of this church is not unique. It's the same as f- pretty much every other church, but it's to simply see people in neighborhoods in our city renewed through the power of the gospel. That same gospel, that the good news brings renewal. That there is a saving, redemptive, power in Christ. And the church is there, our church and every other church in this city, we all sort of run together in this. And it may be worded different in different places, but it's essentially the same. We want to see renewal take place through the gospel in the lives of people and in neighborhoods perhaps, and ultimately in the city that we all call home. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to be a part of. Uh, There's no better story or example of that in our own church than what we shared last week with how this church even began. You know, redeeming a place that feels like you can't redeem such a place like that. And how the very first steps and breaths that this church took, and hopefully we're still taking, is to see renovation happen in the lives of people. And today I want to move away from Just the renewal that happens in the individual's life and talk about how the church becomes a voice of renewal outside of these walls. That's what I want to talk about today. And there's a tension in that. And let me just sort of paint this picture for you and maybe you fall into this category. But every city, every metropolitan area like ours is full of these people that I would uh, label as exiles. And they are people, and maybe you're one of these people, uh, and this will hit home with you, but uh, you're not really all that interested in sticking around in Atlanta once things change. Like the job or the relationship situation or whatever it may be, in your mind, you're here, but it's temporary. And as I said, I think last week or a couple of weeks before, I've met people on the floor between services who say to me, well, I just moved to Atlanta, and I will say, did, you, did a job bring you here? And they were like, no, I'm just here. We're just going to see what happens, which I find ultimately terrifying. You know, greater faith than me, for sure. But temporary living in a place. Exiles. It's not where I'm from. It's not where I want to be long term. But this is where I am now. And I've worked here, it'll be six years in April. And with the exception of just a handful of people, we have seen, I have seen this church turn over at least once. Because that's just the way it is. That's the way it is here. That's just, that's just a normal part of doing ministry in this part of the city where people come and people go, and that narrative will continue to play out. It's not going to change. It may get worse. if the If the economy, if the the difficulty in the economy has done anything. It's kind of stabilized our city. Nobody's going anywhere because, you you know, <laughs> you're just going to take a bath if you sell your place. You know, I mean, it's like, forget it. We'll just stay. I mean, our building where we live, we just sort of all looked at each other and went, well, here we are. You know, I wasn't going to be here forever, but it looks like we're going to be here forever. I mean, someone just put a for sale thing up in their window in our building, and we just all kind of giggled, you know, like, really? <laughs> so... Uh, Anyway, that's maybe not funny to you, but um. (laughs) but it is one of the great struggles of not only being a church in a in a in a big place in a big town, but it's just kind of the struggle of just living in general as a Christian. People come and go all the time, and what happens when you see the place that you live as a place that you will only be temporarily? whether that's a year, two years, three years, or whatever. Even worse, unknown, but you don't want to be there. The struggle that you run into is that you you never put roots down. Relationally, even professionally for that matter, uh, or spiritually. And the result is this. You know, because why would you do that? I mean, it's just not worth it. And the result of that is that as Christians... We don't really grow as neighbors. Instead, we grow as consumers. Our vision goes away. Our hearing goes away. And the second greatest commandment that Jesus gave is to love your who? Your neighbor as yourself. But if you're a consumer, you know, of a certain town, of a certain neighborhood, simply because you know you're just there for a little while, you never know your neighbor's. And it is impossible to love your neighbor as yourself if you don't know your neighbors. You know, I mean, it's just that simple. And so we don't, gr- it, we don't grow in that part of our discipleship to love those around us, to serve the people around us. And then another part of the tension is this, and we'll, we'll, we'll sort of come out of this and take a breath in a moment. When you set up shop in a building as a church like we have here, it's no longer contextual. It's communal. It's this middle-of-the-road tribal experience. There's 242 neighborhoods in our city that make up the Atlanta City area. Forty-two distinct neighborhoods are in Buckhead. And each neighborhood has its own name, its own culture, its own Way of doing things, its own schools, its own rhythms, its own DNA. Uh, if you live in some other part of the city, say downtown, it's very different than living in some other part of the city, say North Midtown or South Buckhead or North Buckhead. And each part of Atlanta, spread out as it is, has its own vibe. And so when you have a church in town, and we have been both lucky and unlucky. Uh, I would say more lucky than unlucky. It just took us six years to figure this out. But we have uh, people in this church that live all over the city. We are not, I mean, our building is in Buckhead, but we are not just Buckhead. Uh, we are Midtown. We are Virginia Highlands. We are East Atlanta. We are downtown. We are Westside. We're Vinings. We're Smining. I love that word. We're Decatur. We're Avondale. We're Brookhaven. Dunwoody. Like, it's not just three feet from us. We're all over the place. And what happens on a Sunday when a church like ours comes together, it's slightly awkward. You don't feel that way because you're just looking at me, but I'm looking at you. Like, it's just a weird mix. But it's a beautiful thing. It's actually what God intended, that the church would not be homogenous, but that it would be pretty mixed up. It should always be like that. And the thing about a Sunday morning experience is that as much as we love it, as divine as it is, as something we will always do, it's not the only thing that God calls the church to be or to do. And if we're not careful, if we don't stay awake to this, we'll end up pushing everything about our life with God into this building. And into this gathering, the totality of our relationship with God will exist only in here. And it will lose all relevance out there. And the problem with that is the life that Jesus calls us to live is not confined to a building. I mean, for the first 300 years of the church's existence, and you can sort of credit Constantine for this or get upset at him for it, that The church, up until that point, was not so much a location, but it was a movement. Sure, they met. Sure, they got together. Sure, they did what we're doing now, but not like we're doing now. When Constantine sort of legalized it, really he legalized all religion, but when he legalized Christianity, it became kind of fashionable. But it was also becoming uh, part of the culture. And then when he himself claimed to be a Christian, it cha- the whole game changed. The church shifted from a movement of people to an institution. It became this thing where all of the ministry, all of the parts of faith, got pushed into the building and up to the leadership. And Jesus has a different message. The, the writers of the Bible, the New Testament, are calling us to a different sort of thing, a day-to-day living out of our faith in the worlds that we all inhabit. I mean, this is great in here, but it's 60 minutes, right? Or 80, depending on how I'm feeling, right? But it's just 60 minutes. It's not the totality of our faith. Does that make sense? It's a beautiful thing, and it should grow and develop and, and be a huddle time for our church and to, to come and worship together. You know? It's a, it's a beautiful thing. But it is not the whole thing. It is a fraction of what God calls us to do in the everyday lives that we live. Look at uh, Ephesians 4. I'm going to break this down in two verses. The first verse, verse 11, says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. So here's a verse where uh, the writer is talking about this is kind of the framework of the church. Leadership per se, right? It's not exhaustive because youth pastor's not in there. uh, Worship pastor's not in there. Recreational, but you you know what I'm saying, right? Like it's just, it's not exhaustive, but you have this list of leadership. The apostles still around at that time, right? Like Paul and the others, they're there. The prophets, don't get confused by, these aren't fortune tellers, they're preachers speaking prophetically into the culture the evangelists, there's that word that we should take back somehow, uh, but this, these bringers of good news, those who share the gospel with the world, the shepherds and the teachers, those who take care of the church, large or small, teaching and helping them develop in their faith. So you have this in verse 11, this framework of, you know, this is kind of the leadership and the, the caretaker's of a local congregation, right? Does that make sense? Answer me there. Good, you got it. Okay. Watch verse 13 or 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So you have the leadership structure, but they are not leaders to be leaders. They are not in a position to simply hold a position. They're not above the rest, or outside the rest. They're in place, in verse 12, to equip the saints. That's us. For the work of ministry. See, the paid staff of a church is simply in place. I mean, they've basically said no to every other vocation, every other job opportunity, to devote all of their time and energy into verse 12 right there, equipping the local congregation to live out their faith in the worlds that they inhabit. For the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, a common phrase in the New Testament for the church, to build it up, to help it grow in its discipleship, its relationship with God. Verse 12 does not say... uh, he gave all these leaders so that they could put on this amazing sunday morning gathering sure that may play a role and we want to make sure that you do stay awake the whole time in here for sure but it is not that is not the primary goal of my job that's not the primary goal of Kyle's job here it's not the primary goal or the role of anybody's job here our primary role is to resource you to equip you to outfit You to live out your faith, not just in this building, but in the the 99.9% of your week out of here. In other words, the church has been given the role of equipping and outfitting its people to be players in the game of renewal. To be participants in what God is trying to do in his world. Uh, This picture is a picture of a neighborhood in uh, South Buckhead. Uh, I know I I put this online weeks and weeks ago and somebody was like, where is that? But it's right here. It's off 26th Street. You turn right at Mellow Mushroom. Thank you very much. And you dead end into this neighborhood. And the cool thing about this neighborhood is we have one of our small groups in this neighborhood. And there's 16 of them meeting in one of those homes. That's not really a small group. I mean, that's like like a house church. But... Uh, there's 16 of them in that, in one of those homes. And uh, they allowed me to come into their meeting, into their group meeting a few weeks ago. And it wasn't an off-the-cuff thing. It was something that our, our staff has been working through uh, over the course of this year. And following staff retreat, I contacted the leaders of this group and I said, listen, we've chosen your group to try something for us and I want to come and pitch it to you. And they said, okay, fine. They didn't know what was happening. Um, And I tried to, like, give them enough information beforehand, but the the attachment didn't work. So everybody was nervous. Um, So I showed up. The preacher showed up. You know, everybody looked good. Uh, Profanity went down a level. um, You know, whatever. And we all circled up. And I started to talk to them about this uh, thing that we feel like God is leading us to do in our city. And it has nothing to do with Sunday morning. Uh, Sunday morning will continue to be, as best we can make it, one of the greatest hours of the week. Uh, for your kids, if you have kids, for you in this room, I mean, like, we care so much about this gathering. Uh, again, mostly because it's the time when all of us get together. It's the family meeting. It's the huddle. It's the worship time. It's It needs to stay in place. It needs to always... Become more. I mean, like it's what I'm going to tell you has nothing to do with this. I mean, this is in place. But we did start this year deciding, we decided this year that we need to start looking at our city differently. And because Atlanta is so diverse in its neighborhoods and so unique in different parts of the city, we decided to section off our city and into different parishes, which is an old church word. Uh, it's not even really just a church word. Uh, I mean, New Orleans is made up of a lot of parish communities. But in the religious sense, in the church world, a parish is simply a geographical area under the care of a pastoral team of people. That's it. And we see it, We A, we love that like it's, wow, that's just neighboring at its finest, you know? If, if we can begin to see different neighborhoods in our city and different communities in and around our city as parishes, places where the church exists, places where you live, where I live, and they're not just innocuous, they're not just invisible, they're parishes. They're places where care is happening. They're places where community with other people is happening. There are places where growth and faith, it's happening. Serving one another is happening in those places. Now, we're not a traditional church in the sense that we have a lot of stuff going on here at the building, mainly because you can't get here during the week. And B, there's no parking during the week because, you know, Maggie's next door kind of runs the show during the week, right? And so we've sort of been forced through the years to uh, outsource almost all that we do into the city. But we want to do more than that in the coming year, and figure out what happens when a church turns most of its energy into the neighborhoods in which it serves. And so I visited this group in South Buckhead, these 16 people, and uh, two of our staff people were in that small group. And we essentially asked them to be uh, kind of the lab rats in this. And the first eight months of the year is just going to be this Uh, testing ground for us on what it looks like to throw church life into a neighborhood. Um, You might be asking, like, what do you mean? Uh, Obviously, there are small groups that will be meeting in that particular uh, parish, just just as they are in your neighborhoods too. Uh, But we're adding more to that. Um, We're developing some student ministry stuff in neighborhoods, Um, you know, trying to figure out how we... Build bridges with students. I mean Bucket has twenty schools, twenty. Private, public, city, and odd, like the International School, like just weird, you know, those kind of places. Twenty schools exist above the Brookwood Interchange to this building. It's a lot of kids. And so we just said, you know, let's just get in those neighborhoods and develop ministries and programs and connecting points for them. South Buckhead is a highly family-oriented community, but it's also very single. It's also very young. It's a, it's a nice, diverse mix of people. We piloted this this past summer. Kyle, our youth pastor, piloted this on the north side. We have a, we have a, a group of people in our church that live in Johns Creek, which to me, that's like out, that's like out of the country. Like, I don't ever leave this three-mile area, but do you, you know where Johns Creek is? No, okay. Uh, go north, and when you feel like you're lost, keep going. Um, but we have a community that is so strong up there, and um, they piloted a neighborhood vacation Bible school thing. Remember VBS? Anybody go to VBS as a kid? No? Oh, I love you people. Uh, that's good. Um, but we piloted a, va- a neighborhood, not at the building, but in the neighborhood. And there some like 20 kids that came, and one of them were ours. Not my kid, but a a CCB kid. Uh, So things like that will take place. Uh, Serve the city. The great thing about Atlanta is you can just throw a stone no matter where you are, and there's a need. And our staff team is now looking at figuring out how to help neighborhoods serve their neighborhoods, connecting them with local organizations that are right there, whatever they may be. So whatever part of town you live in, trust me, there is a need there and there's probably an organization close by that's struggling to meet that need. And if the church comes alive in the places that it lives, who knows? Renewal takes place, right? Prayer walks around parish neighborhoods. I don't mean creepy. We're circling up around the home of someone and praying for their soul. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just intentionally walking the neighborhoods and asking God to reveal to you where it is that he needs you. I mean, this is, it's not groundbreaking. In fact, the word parent, I mean, there are no books on this because the, the only books I've been able to find they are uh, they're middle ages. I mean, like it's not like a new thing. It's an old thing. And so we're not blazing any new territory, but we are, going back to what the church has always been called to be, and that's the hands and feet of Jesus in the worlds that each of its members inhabit. And I sat in the living room of the South Buckhead group, and I said, hey, will you do this? And we don't really fully know. I mean, we've got pages and pages of things that we went through with them and ideas, but it's essentially going to be a jam session for eight months because we don't fully know what will happen But we do have some measurables. We do have some things that we want to see take place. We have eight things we want to see happen before the first eight months. And we'll be updating you as a congregation all the time. Like I guarantee you in the first few weeks of the year, I'll stand up here and say, this is what's going on in our lab down in South Buckhead. This is what they've been doing. And then as soon as we figure out how this thing works remotely, we'll do a new one and then a new one and then a new one until we feel like we have a fairly good grasp on what it means to be the church in the city. What does that have to do with Sunday morning? Nothing. We'll continue to do our best in here and to make it one of the greatest hours of our weeks. But all the rest of the time that we spend living in the world, it will be different. And we'll do our best to serve the city that we live in. But it doesn't mean you can't answer this question for yourself. What would happen if you saw the neighborhood that you live in or the building that you live in or the block that you live on as a parish, as a place where God is calling his church to take care of? You don't have to live in South Buckhead to answer that question. Where do you live? And can you begin to see that? as a parish, as a place where God wants to bring renewal through you. I love the future of this in the sense that when a new person comes to CCB and says, how do I get involved here at this church? Our question back to them is, tell me where you live. Oh, you live in Midtown. Well, cool. That's great. There's a rooftop party next week. You can meet a bunch of people there and there's some service opportunities there. It's not the building. Where do you live? I feel like that's... Always been the call, what's the church supposed to do? How do you get involved in a church? Tell me where you live, and then we'll get you involved. And how you live where you live is a very spiritual decision. You can't always choose where you live, but you can choose how you live where you live. I know in the Lord's Prayer it says, um, you know when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, uh, it says, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And I know that around here, at least on the staff team, and if you get emails from me, it's just the tagline under my name, but it just simply remix that to say in Atlanta as it is in heaven. And there are many other cities that use that same phrase and just substitute their name in it. But I I love it because it changes the prayer. And you just take your neighborhood, wherever it is that you live and call home or wherever it is that you work, and you substitute that Word in there. I've got a friend. I sit on a church planning team uh, here in the city, but it's made up of people from all over. And there's a good pastor friend of mine from Coweta County. Like, come on. And uh, Sharpsburg, Noonan area. Anybody? Anybody from there? Okay. Uh, Woohoo. Alan Jackson. All right. So, but he emailed me a few weeks ago, and underneath it, it said, in Calweda as it is in heaven. And I emailed him back, and I was like, hey, that's a cool tagline. He's like, I learned it from a really cool guy. Uh, but that was me. So, uh, <laughs> so it's catching on, right? I mean, it's, it's happening. And that's how we should be praying. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, it's that we pray very specifically that God's kingdom, which is not some army, but it's a way, it's the news, It's his renewing gospel that that way comes to earth. Let me show you the rest of the Corinthians text, and then we'll close in prayer. After Paul says everything has been made new, he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled, there's the big theme, us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, he says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So in this first part of the verse, or this first part of the ending of the passage, Paul reminds us that all of this has happened through Christ so that God could hand us the message of reconciliation. And then check out verse 20. Therefore, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. And then he amplifies that saying, God making his appeal through us. God is not speaking into our history audibly. It's, there's no Horton Here's a who, nothing like that. The church, Paul is saying has now been given the responsibility to make that appeal on God's behalf. Right? That's the thing. That the church is now the voice of renewal. And if it chooses to be silent, it's essentially not listening to this. It's essentially not heeding this call. That yes, you have been made new, but not so that you can circle up with everyone else who has been made new and go, isn't it cool that we've been made new? That's not the point. The point is that you have been made new so that you can take that same news and share it with the world. You're an ambassador, a mouthpiece for the grace and the mercy of God. Amen. And so, as we take communion today, um, just to keep it simple, uh, after I pray, maybe just sit and reflect uh, for a few minutes on what you've heard today. Maybe read the text uh, to yourself for a few moments, and and think about not only the renewal that takes place in your own life through your relationship with God, but maybe listen for a moment uh, to what you know. Listen again in your head to what you've heard today. Listen to the text that God's calling you to participate uh, in his renewing work in the world. And the communion, the bread and the juice, like it just reminds us uh, every week of what Christ has done for us. Again, that's the 517 part that you have been made new. But it's so that you can tell the world. that. And then if you'll bring up the communion slide, um, I mean, it's this right here. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Even communion itself is an announcement. Even communion itself is news, gospel news. And so I will pray, and then um, when you're ready, you can move to one of the four tables around the room and take part in the communion together. God, thank you for this day, and thank you for this place. We thank you for our history. We thank you for um, how you've written the story of renewal in so many lives in this room. Uh, and God, how so many people are just walking stories of what happens when they trust you. And God, we pray uh, not just for the South Buckhead neighborhoods, but the whole city. And we are but one church church. Um, of many that are all seeking to bring the news of renewal to neighborhoods and lives of people in this city. And so we pray not just for us, but for all the churches that are just trying to hold up the good news, the gospel, and let people approach you and receive the grace and the mercy that comes through your son, Jesus. So, God, we, again, we, just, we pray not only for us, but for all those church communities, large and small, that have, that have that vision. And, God, specifically for us, that you will just inspire us and challenge us to be that place here. God, continue to send people to us through our neighborhoods and even to this building that are just in search of you. And God, we pray that you will never let us lose just the strength of that message that in you all things are new. Thank you so much for your grace and mercy, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.